If you would be uh, turning in uh, to the 124th Psalm, that'll be our uh, place to camp out tonight. This is the fifth Psalm of Ascent, which means that after we finish tonight, we will be one-third of the way through the Psalms of Ascent. There are 15 of them, beginning in uh, Psalm 120 and ending in Psalm 134. And we've already, and so we look forward tonight to uh, trying to unpackage these eight verses in one in Psalm 124. I, I need to explain something. I, I I look like I've been smoking camels for the last 50 years. My my hands are yellow. You know, you. I remember my dad smoked all of his life, and I can remember the nicotine stains on his hand. Well. I ordered a pair of shoes <laughs> from India, and I ordered uh, tan, tan shoes, and when they got here, they were as orange as a UT sweatshirt. I've never, I wore them a couple of times, and every time I did, my wife would laugh at me, and she'd say, you, you just don't know how those shoes look. So finally, I decided to dye them. And that's where I got this on my hands. I, I got about as much dye on my hands as I did on the shoes. But anyway, that's the reason for the yellow. Uh, well, I want to read uh, Psalm 124. I'm, I'm reading from the New American Standard. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side... Let Israel now say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit who inspired David to write these verses would illuminate our hearts to understand them and help us to apply the truth to our lives. Lord, we love you and how blessed we are to have the Word of God in our hands. And uh, Lord, thank you that we have the privilege to study it together tonight. Be our interpreter, be our teacher tonight, Holy Spirit of God. Remove anything that would hinder us from hearing what you want to say to us tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you a question tonight. It comes right out of the psalm. It's really kind of the focus of these eight verses. Here's the question. Is the Lord on your side? Is the Lord on your side? That's what the psalmist, and the psalmist here is David. You'll notice it says at the beginning, a psalm of ascent and then of David. 
David wrote four of these Psalms of Ascent. Solomon wrote one, and the rest are anonymous. I've already shared with you my perspective that they were written probably by Hezekiah, one of the kings of Judah, because the circumstances of Hezekiah's reign fit perfectly with the context of these psalms. Now, the psalms, all of the psalms, and I'm sure since you're this far and this deep into the study of psalms, I know you've probably heard this a number of times by the different teachers, but it took a thousand years to write the psalms. The first psalm uh, was written somewhere around 1400 uh, B.C., and the last psalm was written around the mid-century, around 440, 450 B.C. So when you're reading the book of Psalms, the context has to let you know the time frame in which that particular psalm was written. So they range all the way from David all the way to Ezra, and that's around a thousand years of biblical history. Now tonight, it, it helps us to know a greater sense of, of the context when it tells us that it's a psalm of David. It gives us a greater sense of the time. Now, um, just by review, we've said that these, these psalms are like stair steps leading us to greater maturity in our Christian faith. Now, there's, I, I need to put a disclaimer. When you use the word stair steps, some folks might come to the conclusion that I'm saying you're, you're working your way to heaven. And please understand that that's exactly the opposite of what I'm saying. You'll remember that that first stair step was the step of distress. That's where salvation, or might I say regeneration, because when you use the word salvation, you need to understand that biblically you're talking more than just the new birth. When the, when the Bible talks about salvation, it talks about the all-inclusive salvation from regeneration all the way up to glorification and all that's in between. But uh, here we have uh, the step, I'm calling this the step of declaration. Um, if you remember, we call the first step the step of distress. That's where you begin. You have to come under conviction, be distressed about your soul's condition, and cry out to the Lord. Psalm 121 was the psalm of deliverance. Once you're distressed, then you're ready to be delivered. God can't save somebody who doesn't realize they need to be saved. And so step one is absolutely essential to come to the stage of deliverance in Psalm 121. Psalm 122, we saw, was the step of delight. That's when the pilgrims looking, walking up to Jerusalem finally get there and they walk into the city of Jerusalem and they see the beauty and they see the temple. That's the step of delight. And they said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. They were delighted that they finally had reached there. And then Psalm 123 last week, we saw it as a psalm of devotion. He said to you, I lift up my eyes. Now we come to Psalm 124. I'm calling it the step of declaration. He said, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel say now, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, they would have swallowed us alive. They are declaring their faith in God. Now, and they're saying, 
praising God that God is for them. God is on their side. That's a good thing, isn't it? Wouldn't you hate to have God not be on your side? Uh, that's, that's one thing I don't ever want to be on the wrong side of God. And, and here they are claiming and confessing that God is on their side. Or probably a better way to say it is they are on God's side. I, I remember when I got out of the Air Force and was going to college, I, was, uh, I played uh, college basketball my freshman year at a junior college and played in the Air Force, so I was still in pretty good shape. And while I was in college, we decided that we would, were going to have an all-preacher team. And, uh, and we were going to enter not into the church league, we were going to enter into the independent league, just as a, partly as a witness, you know. Everybody thinks a preacher's a wimp anyway, so we thought, we'll just have us a team and, and uh, we'll, we'll play in the, in the tough league. Well, we did. We put together a pretty decent team. All of them had played, were, uh, were good players, but we had one, t one player especially good, and I was so glad he was on our team. I was so glad he was for us. You can catch him, my, my, my drift. He was 6'8". He played for Mississippi State. And we were defeated. And then, Jim Edwards decided to go to seminary. Well, I have to say, the rest of the year was not that uh, joyful. You see... Our, our offense was get the ball to Jim, <laughs> and, uh, and it was two points. But after he left, we kind of struggled a little bit. Yeah, and you know what I gleaned from that? Man, it's important who's on your team. It's vitally important. In fact, your success in life and in eternity depends on who's on your team. This psalm is all about having God on our team. Now, this could have been written in any number of places in David's life. It's a psalm of David. Can, can you think of some of the places where he, he is in the context like this, where the enemies are surrounding him, where they're facing him, they can swallow him alive. Uh, he can, it's, it's like... Um, it's like the waters that are about to flow over them, the raging waters. It's like a bird caught in a trap. Can you, can you think of any time in David's life? It could have been uh, when he faced Goliath and he defeated Goliath, their hero. And after he defeated Goliath, the Philistines had a, put a target on his back and they were after him from then on. And so it could have been after he defeated uh, Goliath. It could have, it could have been uh, after, he, uh, after he met the Philistines who gathered together to, in battle against David after he became king. And you'll remember they harassed him for years and years. Uh, it, it could have been any number of occasions when, uh, when this happened. But we're not exactly sure, so therefore... We, uh, we, we can, uh, since we don't know exactly what his conditions were, then it just lets us, I'm, I'm kind of glad, because that means we can apply it to whatever condition we're in. Uh, any situation we find ourselves, 
caged in like a bird or facing persecution like the enemy was facing David. Then the, the psalm speaks to us. Uh, if I had a specific episode when David uh, gave this psalm, then I'd have to say it applies to us if we're in the same condition. But since it's broad enough that wherever you are tonight, that's why I want to say these psalms are not, they're, they're not, they're for all of us. For all of us when we find ourselves in conditions like this. So the purpose of this psalm is when we have experienced some personal or national deliverance like they experienced. It's, it's a psalm that, that is for us to, to know how we need to be grateful that God is on our side. Do you know that most of the world, the God they serve, is not on their side? If you go to India, I've been many, many times, we'll go again, Lord willing, in October, and you get in a taxi cab there, they've got gods everywhere. You go into homes, they've got gods everywhere. Now, I remember on one trip over to India, uh, they and, uh, this family that worked at the bank, this man worked at the bank, and he knew we were Christians, and he asked if we would come by their house that night after we'd finished the day's work and pray against the demons in their home. They had been waking up every night at a strange sound. It came the same time every night would wake them up and terrorize them. And there was no human ex explanation for what was going on. And they were attributing it to the devil and to demons. And that's probably true because in India, demons have free run. They have a more than a million gods. And so I can remember going to that home. It was fairly late, but they were waiting on us. As we walked in, they had uh, into their yard, they had things uh, turning to keep the demons away and, and, and little incense things burning in the yard. It was all intended to keep the demons away. You see, to them, God was not on their side. And all of this stuff was, was to keep the, they, they wouldn't call it demons, they called them the gods. We see that they're demons. But they will look at them as their gods and they want to appease those gods. And, and, and they live in constant fear. And, and most of the world is that way. The, 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 wor the world religion. Look, look at Islam. Islam, they believe in one God, but they believe, you know, that that God is harsh and they have to walk a straight line and do, or, or they, they don't have any chance. God is not on their side. But Psalm 124 is like a gasp when God has just delivered you from a terrible threat. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you walk away and you say, boy, thank God. Have you ever done that? Boy, thank God. God was with me on that. Our family had a gasp. I again was in college and pastoring my first church. We had two little boys. And while I was studying for exams over the past couple of weeks, I would lay down up in the den and I would almost immediately go to sleep. It was unusual and I couldn't stay awake at night. And so one night, one morning, early in the morning, probably two o'clock in the morning, our, our youngest, uh, our oldest son 
began to cry in another bedroom. And it was the most unusual cry. It was a staccato cry. He would cry and then he would stop and he'd cry. It was almost like a machine gun and it was so weird. And I got up and I went in and picked him up and, and, uh, and he said, I've got to go to the bathroom. And I got to the bathroom, put him in the seat and he collapsed down in the commode. And it was then that I realized something's not right in our house. I went to the window to try to raise it. I didn't have enough energy to raise the window. I went in and started trying to wake Rose up. I couldn't get her to wake up. I picked up the phone and called her mother and dad who lived about five minutes away. And I said, something is terribly wrong in this house. Would you please come? right now. That's all I said. And I hung up the phone. You can imagine, they couldn't, what it was, we both had, all four of us had come under uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. We were all in the hospital. We all had pneumonia. We all came within minutes of dying. You read those incidents, very seldom do people wake up. We would have all died if my oldest son hadn't started crying. I had to literally pull Rose out of the, of the she, she couldn't, she just was dragging her. I had, I had a, a naked son in this arm and Rose under this one pulling him out because he had, you know, he went to the bathroom and fell in the commode. And it was after we got in the hospital, it was like, Thank God our son woke up. Thank God you woke us up. It, it's that atmosphere that Psalm 124. Uh, David is saying, God, thank you. We came so close to dying. And it's your favor on us is the only reason we're alive. And, and so here, here's the psalm, and I, I've broken it down in this outline. It's, it's simple. Number one, there's the appreciation of the Lord's presence. And, and that's in, um, in Psalm 124 verses 1 and 2. He, we, we see that repeated. See those two repetitions? Had it not been the Lord who was on our side? Verse 1. And then he repeats it again in verse 2. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side? Now this is, is a an appreciation of the Lord's presence. And I'm calling it, number one, a lavish, <laughs> a lavish appreciation of the Lord's presence. Uh, he, is, he can't thank God enough. <laughs> I mean, his heart is overflowing with gratitude for God's protection. And so he says it twice. And in the Hebrew, uh, in the, in the uh, Jewish-Israeli uh, way of expressing things, uh, the way that you made something superlative is when you repeated it over and over again. And so that's what they're doing here. Uh, you know, they're filled with joy. I mean, just lavish, lavish joy at the presence of God. I, I love, write down this reference, Psalm 1611. Scripture says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. See, they are appreciating the Lord's presence. One of the reasons is, in your presence is fullness of joy. And then Psalm 9, 3 says, When my enemies are turned back, they shall fail and perish in thy presence. 
in thy presence. And Moses said in Exodus thirty-three fifteen, If thy presence go not up with me, carry us not up hence. He said, Lord, if you're not going with us, if you're not going with me, I'm not going. That's what Moses said. Lord, I'm not, I'm not going if you don't go with me. And, and, and so here is a, an appreciation, a lavish appreciation of the Lord's presence. Now see, some would have said this. Some would have said, and they would have been satisfied if Egypt was on their side. You know, some of them wanted him to make a deal with Egypt to protect them against the enemy. And so they would have been satisfied, just have Egypt on their side. But listen to what Isaiah chapter 19 verse 14 says about Egypt. The prophet Isaiah warned Judah not to rely on Egypt. Here's the quote. The Lord has mingled within her, that is within Egypt, a spirit of confusion, and they will make Egypt stagger in all of its deeds as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. That's pretty strong. And Isaiah said, you try, you, try, you try putting Egypt in the place of God, and that's what will happen. Uh, another one is 2 Kings 18.21. This again is, is talking about Egypt. It says, it was no good having Egypt on their side. Uh, uh, here's, the, here's the quote exact. It was no good having Egypt on their side. Behold, you are trusting now in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. See what he's saying? He's saying you can't trust Egypt. Egypt can go with you, but Egypt will go down with you. <laughs> because because God's not going to let you lean on the arm of flesh. Some would, have been, some would have been satisfied if Babylon had been with them. See, Babylon was a growing political power. And they said, what we need to do is we need to make a contract with Babylon and let Babylon be our friend and protect us. And we saw in 586 how Babylon protected them. Or, or rather, 722. Babylon came and conquered Jerusalem and destroyed it completely. He's teaching us here, you can't lean on the arm of flesh. You can't lean on Egypt. You can't lean on Babylon. Do you remember when, when Jesus was arrested in the garden and Peter pulled out his sword and he, he began to chop away? I think he was trying to cut the head off of Malchus, whatever his name was, but he missed and cut his ear off. And uh, what did Jesus tell him? I'm going to give you Vincent's paraphrase. Jesus said, Peter, stop trying to use worldly means to accomplish spiritual ends. It won't work. That's not, that's not the weapons of the kingdom of God. Remember what, he, what Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 10? He said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So the Lord is teaching us here that, that we're not to lean 
on the arms uh, on, on, on the arms of flesh. Now that second quote, in case you want it to look at it, study it later, is Second Corinthians chapter ten, verses four and five. You see, the enemy always wants to tempt us to lean on the arm of flesh rather than leaning on God. So that's a lesson that comes out of this text. So there's the appreciation of the Lord's presence, the lavish appreciation of the Lord's presence. Number two, here's the second thing, the lethal danger involved here. The lavish praise and the lethal danger. It says in chapter 2, verse, uh, chapter 2b, men rose up against us. Now we're not told who those men are. Uh, there, I've discovered a lot of Bible teachers believe that, that this context also fits, and we've said this before, Hezekiah's kingship, and that Hezekiah, they believe, borrowed this psalm as an expression in his time to express what was going on in his day. If you remember what happened in Hezekiah's day, it just fits this context perfectly, is Assyria threatened to destroy Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and Hezekiah was, was threatened that if he did not pay tribute to Assyria, then Assyria would come and destroy uh, Jerusalem and Judah. And at first, Hezekiah capitulated, and he gave them all the silver he could find in Jerusalem. You remember that story? He even took the silver... Uh, took some of the, the gates and took the silver off of it that had been uh, coating the gates, and he gave them that. He gave them all the silver. Well, uh, Assyria, that just got them stirred up. They wanted more and more and more. Till finally, Hezekiah just said, no more. Isaiah said to him, don't do that anymore. And so here came Assyria, and they camped outside of Jerusalem intending to destroy them. Can you imagine how Hezekiah felt? The whole city surrounded by Syria. And what, what are you going to do? Isaiah said, here's what you do. He said, don't give in to them. The Lord, this is Vincent's paraphrase again, the Lord is on your side. And so Isaiah told him, trust God. Pray and trust God. God is on your side. Now, you know the story, don't you? You know what happened. They were waiting for the Assyrians to come over. They, they, they would put up the, the siege ramp, and they would come over the wall. And when they did, it was terrible what happened. There was death, torture, rape, anything you can think of, imprisonment. And so they were just waiting for that to happen. And when Isaiah told him, pray, God's on your side, watch God work. And then the next morning, as they were waiting for them to attack, one of the spies came running into the city and said, again, Vincent's paraphrase, you're not going to believe this. The camp of Assyria is very quiet. God had killed 165,000. Assyrians. It matters who's on your side. Amen? Amen. I wish 
Read that story. That's 2 Kings 18. Just in your sometime this week, just read it. I, we don't have time to look at each one of these uh, real closely, but uh, I, I want to. I, I love John Phillips, and I want to just quote John Phillips just just for a minute. Uh, so you, just listen. He says it so much better than I can. He says, "We can picture the morning when the news came." We can picture the worried king talking to the prophet Isaiah. We can visualize Isaiah seeking to strengthen the king as King Hezekiah. Strengthen the king's hand in God as he reminds him the Lord is on our side. They faced what seemed to be a hopeless situation. He could imagine them sieging the city, which involved starvation, disease, and when the walls were breached, it meant torture and death, rape and pillage. They were no match for the Assyrian soldiers, but God was a match. Imagine how thrilled they were when the messengers arrived with the word that the Assyrian camp was silent. Thousands of Assyrian soldiers lay dead. The Lord was on Jerusalem's side. Wow. It matters. Now let's look at point number two. The, the acknowledgement of the Lord's protection that's verses 3 through 5. Let's look at it again. 3 through 5. Then they would have swallowed us alive when their, when their anger was kindled against us. Then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our souls. Then the raging waters would have swept over our souls. Now, here, this verse says to me that Satan hates the people of God. Why? Well, I think he knows that through the people of God, through the Jews, was going to ultimately come the Savior. And throughout the Old Testament, Satan has, his, has a target on the back of the family through which the Messiah will be born, which was David's family. And, and so uh, he, they're crying out here, uh, they're, they're threatening here to swallow them. They're threatening to see them washed away. Uh, they're threatened to see them eaten by wild beasts. That's the, that's the three threats that are here. So, but here's two things I want you to notice. Number one, God protected them from being devoured. Did you see verse three? Verse three, he, he talks about they would have swallowed us alive. Now, the picture here is of a larger beast attacking a smaller beast and devouring them. I don't know why, I guess uh, I don't like this imagination of mine, but when I think of it, I think of a boa constrictor swallowing. You, you've seen those documentaries, you know, uh, where the snake will get a small animal or, or uh, sometimes not a small animal and, uh, and swallow it and, and kill it. Well, that's the picture here. Uh, that's what Assyria was threatening Hezekiah. That, that's what the Philistines were threatening David with. We're going to swallow you up. We're going to destroy you. So number one, God protected them from being devoured. Number two, God protected them from being drowned. See verse four and five, he talks about the waters that will engulf them. He changes the figure of speech from the animals devouring them to a raging 
river. Uh, the flooding. Now that, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination, does it, with us for what has happened in our country just in the last few weeks where the flooding is, is devastating to the families there. I mean, it's fearful. It's terrorizing, isn't it? I, 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 one of the most frightened times of my life had to do with water and flooding. My wife and I had, had gone down to the coast and we were coming home late one Saturday night and it, was, it had come a, a storm, I mean a rainstorm. We were just south of West Point, Mississippi. If you've ever been there, you go down a hill and you go across the bottom to get to West Point. And the, the river there had overflowed. It was dark, we couldn't see it. And we went down the hill following one other car and we looked and the, the road Water was lapping up on the road on both sides. Any deviation, you were going to go off, and it was deep, because we had been through there so many times. I was, to, to use, I was scared to death. And I was just hoping that guy in front of me knew where he was going, because I was following the taillights, because it wouldn't take much to sweep us off. Again, when I got to the other side, you know what I said? Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Lavish gratitude. Amen? I, 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 God, God, on that night, God was on our side. He was with us. He was with us. And so that's the metaphor here. That's the metaphor here. He's saying, that's what, they're saying, that's what we're going to do to Israel. We're going to wa wash you away. It's a terror, it was a terror tactic. Well, uh, let's come to number three. Here's the third thing. The admission of the Lord's preeminence. Look at verses six through eight. Verses six through eight. The admission of the Lord's preeminence. He says, blessed be the Lord. See, the, the atmosphere changes now. He, he turns from, from telling what they were going to do to telling to, to his response to what God does. He says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Now, he says, first of all, that they're preeminent over the teeth of the enemy. Verse 6. I can imagine Hezekiah singing this psalm after hearing that the camp of the Assyrians had been defeated without a shot. Without a shot being fired. All those Assyrians had been defeated. And, and, and he's saying here that, that God is preeminent over the teeth of the enemy, meaning God is, is, is uh, greater than their destructive power. And then he says uh, he is preeminent over the trap of the predator. And he uses this, this analogy of a bird that's caught in a trap. And he says, God helped us escape from this imminent death. God helped us escape from this trap. And God just didn't just open the door for us. God destroyed the trap. He destroyed the trap. And, and so it's, a, it's an expression of, of praise and how God is preeminent over anything and everything 
that the enemy can throw at us. Well, as they say, help is on the way. Amen? Help is on the way. But let me add to that. Actually, help is already here. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Help is not just on the way. It's always on the way, but help is already here. Now listen to what 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says. My little children, these things I write unto you that no man sin. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now that, word, that means that God is our immediate and constant help. Help on the way, yes, but help is already here. And that, 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 this is written to encourage God's people. It's written to encourage you and to encourage me. For example, you find yourself in a difficult situation. Maybe you have an unsaved or backslidden loved one. Maybe you face an illness or the loss of your job or some other heartache which all of us face from time to time. There seems to be no way out. Seems like we're trapped in that cage and there's no way to escape. We're caged in like the bird in this psalm. We feel the hot breath of our enemy about to swallow us whole. Just remember, God is on your side. And God can do anything. Amen? We don't need to ever forget that. He says, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Catch that. Now, I can't see you. The sun is right in my face. But hopefully you can see me. Just hope you can't see my brown fingers. Our help comes from the one who created the heavens and the earth. Can I just say this to you? A God who can do that can do anything. Amen. Amen? Amen. A God who can do that can do anything. Well, let me close this study with just a quote from Luther. This is the, from the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Listen to it. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us.